0: So um, this Christmas season as um, a lead pastor will actually be my fourth season. So we've planted Impact three years ago, Um, so this will be my fourth uh, Christmas series. And I was kind of like going back and looking at some of the things that we've talked about in the past for our Christmas series. Um, In case you don't know, at the beginning of the year, um, a staff and myself and some other people, we will get together and we will game plan for the rest of the year, what we're going to talk about, what series we're going to do, things like that, and we kind of plan it all out um, throughout the year. So all the way back in January, we decided to do this series called Still Stuck. That's what the series is called. Um, if you were here around Easter time, we did a series called Stuck, and we were like, let's, let's bring it back around Christmas time, because those are the two seasons that people come to church the most, and talk about this same idea of when you feel stuck in life or when you feel stuck in your faith, when you feel stuck, what, what can we do to get out of that feeling? And so, January, we decided, okay, let's do this, uh, around Christmas time, do this series called Still Stuck. And then, um, a month ago is when I, or a month prior to a series is when I normally start the game plan for the series. Um, thank you, Bob. I completely forgot the table today. Everyone get up for Bob. Thanks, buddy. You did it. There were, like, five things that I was supposed to do today, this is not through my sermon, um, that I forgot all of it, and it's all been my fault. If you check your kids in, you notice there's no computers, because dummy over here forgot to bring the charger for the computer that was dead. Anyways, and I forgot the table, so thank you guys. So a month ago, I started trying to think, okay, what are we going to talk about for this this series? Um, And I didn't have anything. I had nothing to think about. And then today, um, I I had uh, two weeks to prepare because Michelle preached last week. And so for two weeks, I had time to prepare the series and prepare today's sermon. And then Monday came, and I still had no clue what I wanted to talk about for this entire series let alone on Sunday. And then Wednesday came, and normally Wednesday is my sermon writing day because I have the most time to do that. I try to get as much as I can down. Wednesday ended, I had nothing written down. And I still had no idea what I wanted to talk about. So I got, I got Thursday. So Thursday came, and again I started writing things out, and again, nothing. So Friday came, and this is really late, and I had no clue what I was talking about today, two days from now. Um, and it was, I found it ironic And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I was was stuck on this, but I was completely stuck figuring out a series called Still Stuck on what I could talk to you about. And it's not like there's not a lot of content like Christmas. There's a lot of content to do for Christmas. There's a lot of things to do, but I just could not figure it out. I had no clue what I wanted to talk about today, let alone this entire series. To help me get unstuck, here's some things I did not do. I didn't just start writing whatever I thought of because I tried. On Thursday, I wrote a thousand words and deleted all of it because it was terrible. I, had no, I was just writing aimlessly about stuff. Here's another thing I didn't do I didn't just say, you know what, the Spirit's going to lead me on Sunday. I hope everything goes well. I didn't do that either. It's like, I, I got to, like, it's responsibility of me to prepare something. I didn't just decide I'm going to show up and, like, whatever I feel like talking about today, I'm going to talk about. I did not do either of those things. But on Friday, I was finally able to get some kind of idea and some kind of sermon. And here's what helped me get unstuck, and I think this will help us throughout our series as well. Um, On Friday, this is going to sound crazy, that this is what your pastor did. I decided instead of sitting at a computer just trying to make something up, um, I started praying. It's a weird concept for your pastor to do before he prayers a sermon, right? And then I read Luke. I read a bunch of chapters in Luke, the Christmas story. And then I prayed again. And then I read again. Then I prayed. And then you know what I did after that? I read Luke again. Then you know what I did after that? Ate lunch, because it was really late at that point, point. I was hungry. And then I started writing my sermon. And what I started thinking about today, I started going very close back to the basics of what is the message and the point of the Christmas story, and what can we learn from it? See, some of you feel like I felt all week stuck, feel stuck in your faith, feel stuck in your walk with Christ. Maybe you just feel stuck in life in general. And here's what I realized on Friday and what I think it's important for us to understand. Being stuck isn't a waste of time. I didn't waste my time all week trying, even though I felt like I didn't know what I was talking about. Being stuck is not a waste of time. Just because you might be here today feeling stuck in your faith doesn't mean that you're in sin. Just because you're stuck doesn't mean that necessarily anything is wrong with you. It just means that it's the season that you're in. and Some of us are in that season feeling stuck. And I've seen a lot of us feel this way, feel stuck, and we just go, you know what? Well, I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't know if I believe this anymore. I don't know what to believe. So I'm just going to throw my hands in the air and go, Okay. I'm either just going to keep going this way because it's easier to keep pretending like I believe all this stuff and to change anything without it actually doing anything to my life, or I don't believe it anymore. I'm out. I'm done. Instead, what I hope we can do throughout this series is take an opportunity, take this opportunity to go back to the basics. Take this opportunity to go back to what the message is truly about. I think for a lot of us, we've forgotten what we believe is true. We've forgotten that aspect that what we at one point believed, we forgot it, and we've stopped following it. And Christmas is the perfect time to remember, because it's a season of memory, remembering, right? Of memory. Of You remember your traditions that you used to have. You remember what you used to do. This is the perfect time to remember what the Christmas story is all about. So instead of finding some creative new thing about Christmas that was going to blow your minds because it's like, oh man, I never thought of Christmas story that way, which is the pressure I was putting on myself, which is insane. Instead of doing that, we're going to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to what the Christmas story is about because the Christmas story is simply about the good news, the good news. That's what the Christmas story is. In fact, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter two, verse 10, it's exactly what they said. In verse 10, they said, I bring you good news That will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I bring you good news, great joy for everybody, for all people. The good news of Jesus is so good. It's so good that it changed the history of the world. The good news of Jesus is so good that it established ideologies and morals and beliefs that are core to our society, even if you don't believe in Jesus. Our society is built around morals and values that were, that were made first by Christ. That's how good the good news is. The good news of Jesus is so impactful that here we are, thousands of years later, talking about the birth of a Jewish carpenter from a nowhere town, telling that story. It's the good news... That brings great joy to all people. Do you understand how good the good news is? Because you have to truly understand how good it is. You have to understand it to fully be able to embrace it and follow it. See, whenever I talk to people that I know that that don't believe in Jesus or don't necessarily have the same faith I do, the first thing I always want to find out, I want to find out if they think the message of Jesus is good. I don't want to find out if they think it's true. I'm not worried about that. I want to find out if they think it's good. Do they hear the message and think, oh, that's, that's a good thing. I, I, that's, I, I understand it. Even if they don't believe it, do they think it's good? Because here's what you probably know. All of us lean into good news. We hear something that's good, we want it to be true. Let me give you some examples. Bad news, you hope it isn't true. I'm a Ravens fan. If you don't know football, let me, let me tell you how my offseason went before the season started. Every time I opened my phone, it was a text from Frank telling me that another Ravens running back was hurt. And every time I went, it's not true. It can't be true. He's not out for the year. And every time it was. Know why? It was bad news, so I didn't want it to be true. I backed up. I said, nope, I don't want it, I want it to be true. And then if you hear good news, you want it to be true. When I was in middle school, um, I was really into the, the Monopoly um, <laughs> pieces for McDonald's. you guys remember? They still do that, right? I was really into it, and I had um, Park Place, because everyone gets Park Place, that's the free one. It's it's BoardWalk that you need. So I had Park Place, I remember being like, oh, I can just get BoardWalk, I will be a millionaire. And I was thinking about all this stuff I was gonna do, and I was telling one of my friends, and my friend said, you know what, I have BoardWalk. And I went, you do? He went, yeah, I do. He's like, if if you have Park Place, I have BoardWalk, we can go in together and split a million dollars. And in my head I'm like, he's an idiot, he has the hard one, but I'll, I'll take it. But I knew it probably wasn't true because this friend wasn't um, honest, like generally. But it was so good, I was like, maybe he does have it. I remember going up and telling my parents, I think my friend has boardwalk and we're gonna, I'm going to change your life, mom and dad, because we're going to be millionaires. Of course it wasn't true. Just because it's bad news doesn't make it not true, and just because it's good news doesn't make it true. But all of us want good news to be true. All of us lean into good news. So when I talk to somebody who doesn't believe what I believe and doesn't necessarily believe in Jesus, I want to make sure they understand that they think the news of Jesus is good news. They may not believe it, but I want them to understand what the message of Jesus actually is because it was such good news. But so many people don't look at the message of Jesus as good news, do they? They look at it as news like condemning news, exclusive news, hateful news, but not Good news. And that isn't their fault. In fact, I would argue it's our fault. It's our fault because if we actually lived out the good news, the best thing that could happen is someone be like, you know what? I don't know if I believe that, but it sounds good. I don't believe it, but I think it actually might be good. The good news that brings great joy to all people. So when Luke is talking about this good news, he decides to write it down. And what's very interesting is he's not the only person that writes down this message of Jesus. In fact, here's what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the, of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty of things that have been taught. See, back then, we need to make sure we understand. Most stories and accounts of someone's life were passed down verbally. They would tell their their ancestors, they would tell their, their next generation, they would tell it, and that's how the that's how the story of your family would normally be passed down back then. The reason why was because the because it was so expensive to write anything down. First off, most people couldn't read or write, so it's really hard to do So you had to hire somebody who could read and write. And then the materials, it, took, it cost so much money in order to put a, an account written down about anyone's life. So back then, the only people that would really write their stories would be rich people, because they could afford it. And of course, write it and be like, hey, I'm paying you, so here's what I want you to write about me. Here's how great my life was, right? But for some reason, Luke says not just him, not two people, not four people, but many people, many people decided to write down, take this expensive process of recording someone's history, write down the story of this carpenter from a nowhere town who wasn't even around anymore. Many people decided to do that. Luke, one of those authors, says, authors says I'm going to do the research. I went I interviewed the people that hung out with Jesus. I went to the places that Jesus was. I investigated it myself. and I wrote everything that I found down. I wrote it down and figured it out. For this guy who did ministry for only three years. Luke and many other people decided to take the offensive process of recording their history, of recording this Jesus guy's history. Why would all these authors decide to record the history of Jesus? Why would Luke do all this research for this guy who was around for three years? I think because something significant happened. Because something world-changing happened. Because something good happened. People spent money and time to record the story of Jesus because it was such good news. How good was it? Here's how good the good news was. Number one, everyone is forgiven. That's good news. Later on in Luke, Luke talks about how Jesus is is preaching at this place. And um, at this point, words getting around about this Jesus guy who just tells, preaches like, no, you never heard. It speaks in a way that, that just, that just, no one's ever heard it. And then rumors going around that he also can heal people. So people are just saying, you know what, I want to, I want to show up. I want to go there. But when they get there, there's a huge line of people. Think like the Starbucks line around Christmas time that you all wait in for some dumb reason for overpriced coffee. It's always forever long. I always think about doing it and I'm like, ah, I don't need it that much. I'll go to Dunkin' for worse coffee, but it's cheaper and no like. So there's a line out the door for people trying to hear about this Jesus guy, and, and these two guys to show up with their friend who's paralyzed. Back then, if you were paralyzed, there was no chance they actually believed you were cursed. That's why you were sick. They get there, there's this line out the door. There's so many people, and they're like, to this Jesus guy, because we heard if we get to him, then this Jesus guy can heal him. So they go, well, let's, can't go through it, let's go over it. So they go on the roof, they get a pulley system, they lower this, their friend paralyzed down, to Jesus, right in front of Jesus. They went to incredible lengths to get this guy in front of Jesus. When Jesus sees this, and this guy's there in front of him, here's what Luke says he does in Luke chapter 5, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know what they were thinking, but they were probably thinking, that's great, but like, I want to walk. That's why I'm here, not to be forgiven. And then there's Pharisees around, they're the religious leaders at the time, and they hear this, and they go, hold up. You can't forgive sins. You don't have the authority to forgive. You're not the son of God. You cannot do that. So Jesus responds to him in verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Tells that guy to get up. He gets up, takes his mat, and he leaves. The Pharisees hear this, and they see that Jesus says, you know what? I have the authority. I'm going to prove it by healing this man. And I, and because I have the authority to heal him, I also have the authority to forgive him. That means that you and I are forgiven. All the sins we have committed, all the pain we have caused, all the anger and hurt, all the manipulation, all of the selfishness, all of it, everything that sent Jesus to die on a cross, all of that is forgiven. Jesus willingly suffered the penalty for our sins, so that we can have the chance to be forgiven. That is good news. And how good is the good news? Number two, everyone can change. Jesus was, leaves this place, and when he leaves, he immediately sees a man called Levi. Levi was a tax collector. Back then, tax collectors is the worst thing you could possibly do, the worst thing you could possibly be. Um, tax collectors would go around, and they would basically rob from their own people for their own gain. They would go and say, hey, Rome is charging you 100 bucks in taxes. I'm charging you 200 bucks. so I'm going to keep 100 of it myself. And if you don't pay it, you're going to go to jail, or I'm going to murder you. Like, that's what would happen. So tax collectors, no one liked tax collectors. The, the, it was Pharisees, people, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. That was the list. No one liked tax collectors. The disciples hated tax collectors. They, they robbed from their own people. They were crooks. They were the worst of the worst. If there was anyone at that time that was not qualified to follow Jesus, it's Levi. He's a thief. He's a crook. He betrayed his own people. But when Jesus shows up, what does he say? Verse 27 Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now that Levi is following Jesus, Jesus wants to know Levi a little better. So he says, Hey, I'm coming to your house. Throw a party invite your friends. I want to meet you and all your friends. Here's the thing with tax collectors. Their friends were tax collectors. You know why? No one else wanted to be friends with them. So the only people you hung out with were other bad people, were other sinners, were other tax collectors. So Jesus goes to a party of the worst people in society at the time. The Pharisees, who again, they're the elite, they're the ones that have been studying scripture for their entire lives, look at this and go, how is he, this Jesus guy, hanging out with those people no one hangs out with those people. No one should be around those people. Why would he be hanging out with them? Jesus answers in verse 31. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This Levi guy eventually after follows Jesus, and long enough, after a while, he becomes completely new. In fact, they change his name. It was by the name of Matthew. If you ever read the New Testament, he wrote the book of Matthew. This Levi guy who was the least qualified wrote one of the first, book, well, the first book of the New Testament, one of our four Gospels. One of the many that Luke was talking about is Matthew, also known by Levi. How was Levi able to change? Through repentance. Levi's starting point did not affect Jesus' call into his life. But Jesus always makes that first step. Jesus initiates the relationship. But Levi had to repent. Levi had to change. He had to change not in order to have Jesus love him, but because Jesus loved him. If Levi can change, the worst person in society, a tax collector who robbed his own people, if Levi can change, anyone can change. And that's good news. Are you sick? Well, Jesus came to heal. Are you broken? Well, Jesus came to restore. Are you hurt? Jesus came to help. Are you in need? Jesus came to provide. Are you in need of a savior? Jesus came to save. The good news is that you don't need a qualification to receive the good news. Everyone is forgiven and everyone can change. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, it's so good. I mean, could you imagine what would happen if everyone in this room, and I know not everyone in this room necessarily believes all this stuff, but let's say you in this room that do. Can you imagine if we actually lived out the good news the way we were intended to? What it would do to our world, to our culture? Because Jesus told us how to live. It's hard to do, but imagine if we actually did this. This is how Jesus says in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 27. He commands all of us to do this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is radical. This this is... An intense way of living. You may not want to live this way because it's really hard to live this way, but no matter what you believe, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we can all agree that this is a way of living. That this is selflessness, this denial of self, this is a level that's unheard of. What if people that didn't believe in Jesus, they didn't believe in it, but when they thought of you and thought of me as followers of Jesus, they at least thought we were this? Could you imagine that? If you're like, you know what, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus guy. But those people literally love everybody. Like, it's crazy. The other day, I cursed one out, and he prayed for me instead. And then I saw another one, and I slapped him in the face trying to get him mad, and he just stood there. He didn't do anything. And then I saw another one, I took her phone, and she offered to buy me lunch instead. Like, I can't make them mad. They love so much that no matter what I do, they just continue to love me. Could you imagine if that was the reputation that we had? Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what Jesus called us to live. They may not believe in this Jesus thing, but they would certainly know it's good news. But Jesus isn't done. He continues in verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And to catch this last verse, he says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful That is who God is, merciful. What you deserve and what I deserve, he doesn't give it to us. When you deserve condemnation, he offers you forgiveness. When you deserve wrath, he offers you grace. When you deserve death, he offers you life. The reason why some of us may still be stuck is because the good news doesn't seem like good news to us. And you know why that may be? As I was reading this, this week, and I've been reading the Gospels, one thing that came, that really stood out to me is that Jesus' news was always good news for the unrighteous people. But for the elite and the Pharisees, for the self-righteous, Jesus' news was threatening to them. See, the people that hated the good news the most were the most religious at the time. They were the elite, they were self-righteous. They didn't need a savior because they were good. Beth Moore said it this way. She said, when the gospel has become the bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted and imprisoned, and good news to the proud, self-righteous, and privileged instead, it is no longer the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we need to know this. There are no self-righteous followers. There are no self-righteous Jesus followers. It's not possible. You can believe him, sure. You can't follow him if you're self-righteous. You can't do it. It's not possible. You can believe he exists. You can be a Jesus believer, but Jesus doesn't call for you to be a believer. He didn't say, hey, I want you to believe. He said, no, I want you to follow me. Drop your nets and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's better for you to be a humble sinner than a self-righteous saint. So if you're in this room and if you feel like you're a little more important than everyone else, you wouldn't ever say that you kind of feel like there's a class below you. Or maybe if you are constantly, constantly displaying your good works for everybody to see so that you can get all the praise for it. Or maybe you might be a person that doesn't have compassion for people that you consider less than you. If you crave the approval of people, if you crave the likes on Instagram more than you, cra- than you crave the acceptance of God, If you refuse to say you're sorry, if you refuse to forgive, you refuse to repent because you have nothing to apologize for. You're not wrong. They are. If you are consumed with self-righteousness, you cannot be a follower of Jesus because Jesus demands that as followers of Jesus, we give up. We give up our rights. We give up ourselves. We deny ourselves, take up our cross every day and follow him. We do it Willingly because we understand that our understanding and our life in comparison to the Savior of the world is nothing. So we willingly give up our life because he willingly gave up his so that we can have a chance to turn to him. So we can be in everyone. And everyone that is forgiven. And everyone that can change. Anyone can be everyone. That's good news. That's why at the beginning of the Christmas story, we see this announcement. Chapter 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You know who needs a Savior? Sinners. You know who that is? You and me. We're all in need of a Savior. Jesus is the embodiment of good. Good did not come for His good, but for our good. That's why the good news that we celebrate and we talk about during Christmas is such good news. So me being um, stuck in my sermon all week until Friday was probably the best thing that could have happened to me for this series. Not because it made me write some incredible, crazy, good sermon, because it's not. I I don't even know if I'm the best preacher that works at this church at this point. But it's not because of anything like that. I think me being stuck brought me back to what I overcomplicate way too much. Look at the Christmas story, it's like, all right, how am I gonna find a story and a, a way to talk about the Christmas story that people are gonna come and be like, man, I've never thought of it that way. Man, how am I gonna do that? Instead, I was like, you know what? First off, it's not about me and everyone thinking that I'm so smart because if you know me or talk to my wife, she would tell you I'm not. It's about the good news. It's simple. Jesus is the good news, good news of great joy for all people. Being stuck brought me back to the basic truth that I overcomplicate way too much. Some of you feel stuck, I get it, I know that feeling. I felt that way in my faith, I felt that way in my life. The Christmas story is so good, it's good for you, it's good for me, it's so good that is better than any story we can tell about ourselves. So maybe this Christmas season, you can look at this time as an opportunity, as an opportunity to remember the good news that we tend to overcomplicate, that we tend to forget, that we tend to get too busy. And if we feel stuck in our faith, maybe we just have to go back to the good news of Jesus. Or maybe, for some of you, this is an opportunity for you to embrace the good news that maybe you've believed in Jesus but you haven't ever decided to follow him. Maybe you didn't know if you believed it. Today it's an opportunity for you to embrace the good news. Good news says that we say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, so we repent of our sins, not because we are perfect, not because we are anything special, but because he is so good. So I'm going to turn from my lifestyle and give it all over to him. I'm going to surrender who I am to him. Some of us today need to make that decision. Maybe for you, you've made it a while ago and you've walked away from it. You need to make it again. Some of you, you've never made it. You believe in this whole Jesus thing, and this whole Christianity, religion thing, but you've never actually followed Today is your opportunity to do that. Here's what I'm going to do as I close. The worship team can come on up. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. Those in this room that have never become a follower of Jesus or have walked away and need to repent, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And all I'm going to do is ask you, as we pray, to slip up a hand. That's it. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anyone. I just want to give, me, give it, you an opportunity to go from death to life, to repent and go to the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, Is thank you for how good you are. The message of hope, the message of salvation, the only way that we can be saved is through you. And I thank you for this time of year that we can remember the gift that you are to us. That no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, that you can forgive us. You can free us from our sins so we can start a new life in you. A life that is better than anything we can do. If you're here today and you know you need to make a decision, you need to stop being a Jesus believer but a Jesus follower and you want to make that decision today to embrace the good news, all I'm going to ask you to do is slip up your hand. that's you, slip up your hand. See that hand. I want you to pray along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your son. Today, I repent of my sins. I surrender it all to you. Turning from my old self so I can walk new in you. In your son's name, amen. Let's sing. Let's sing this closing song together.